Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. I'm Hannah. And I'm Tyler. We're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us, a journey into the stories they not only created, but also lived. So join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach. And I don't have a bit, Hannah. You don't have a fake fairy tale to tell me? It's so funny you say that, because I almost wrote one <laughs> to do a, to do my bit. Like, you know, I was thinking, why didn't we make the Halloween uh, episode this year like fairy tale themed? Everyone has to come up with a gross, morbid fairy tale. But then I was like, that's too limiting. Yeah, it is. And I mean, people can just do that. Like if they, they want, could just do that. <laughs> if you if you're interested in writing for our flash fiction for Halloween and you want to do a morbid, grim ter- fairy tale, you're just doing a fairy tale that the Grimm brothers did already because they were already morbid. But also, you can just do that. <laughs> you don't need us to tell you to do that. We just need the modernized versions. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so remember, folks, <laughs> that uh, announcement that I normally do at the end of the episode or two and at the top. <laughs> Halloween I'm glad that I'm glad that our talk about how we didn't have a bit turned into the bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, in case you couldn't tell from that, uh, we are talking about the Brothers Grimm this week. Brothers Grimm. It's who so have much the cooler. most perfect last name for you know, what they ended up doing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's dope as hell. And it's the fact that they're called the Brothers Grimm, though, not like the Grimm Bros. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes, I maybe that's a German thing, because sometimes in my notes I switch to the Grimm Brothers, because I feel like that's how you would naturally say it. But Brothers Grimm definitely sounds more, like, distinguished. Yeah, it sounds like they are... I don't know what it sounds like. It's... I don't, I have zero idea. It sounds made up apparently because I was talking about this episode and like some of the stuff I found out with someone else. I don't want to name names because I don't want to make them sound not smart if I'm like misremembering it. But whoever I told this to, they were like, oh, the Grim, like Grim, they made up that name, right? And I'm like, no, that was their real name. This isn't like a stage name or a pseudonym. So the the question is... Did the term that we use Grimm for come from them? Or was it already a term of like, you know, the, the grim, dark, dank things of, of the world? Or did people just read these stories that they wrote, the Grimm brothers, and they're like, yeah, that's so grim. Um, okay, I was not originally prepared to answer that question, but thanks to the Google machine, uh, Grimm was first recorded in English sometime in the late 12th century, so it very much preceded the Brothers Grimm. Okay. See, that makes me sad, though, because I kind of wish it was, like, like Mean Girls style, like, oh, that's so Grimm. (laughs) Like, that's so fast. Stop trying to make Grimm happen. It's not going to happen. (laughs) Stop trying to make Grimm happen, Jacob. (laughs) Uh, We're definitely going to get some uh, Tyler photoshops out of this, I feel like. 
<laughs> I'm just picturing like Regina George, but with like one of the Grimm brothers' faces photoshopped over her face. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm just gonna have a a, a shot of the Mean Girls. Um, all like there's a shot of them all holding their books, and I'm just gonna replace the books with like the Grimm fairy tales and shit. <laughs> Didn't they dress up as Red Riding Hood? One of them dressed up as Red Riding Hood, like. Is it, oh, probably for that? slutty Halloween yeah. costume or something. Yeah. Probably. So it totally works. It's not going to be hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we've gotten in uh, the Mean Girls references, shall we uh, do some biographical information on the Brothers Grimm? Yeah, I guess we should educate people since we say we're an educational show. At least Do one. we say that? <laughs> I say it sometimes when I try to sound smart. Oh, okay. Okay, well, we're going to sound really smart here because we're going way back to the 1700s. Whoa! Which is possibly one of the... Have we done anything, like, pre-1700s yet? Um, wow. We, well, we spent most of, we spend most of our time in the mid-19th century. Mid-20th century, I'm sorry. Um, so these may be our oldest uh, uh, literary people see, yet. I was about to say Jane Austen, but she's 1800s as well. She's mid-1800s. Um, I think this might be the oldest author that we're covering. Or authors, I, I should say. Yeah. All right. That makes it I that makes it feel even like more smarter to me. <laughs> Tyler's about to die. You're making me choke on my burrito more smarter. <laughs> I waited until you took a bite just for that purpose. <laughs> I was like, let's see if I can make Tyler choke to death on a burrito. <laughs> We're more smarter. <laughs> okay. No, we're getting real more smarter now. Okay, so the the Grimm brothers, their father, Philip Wilhelm Grimm, was a lawyer, and their mother, Dorothea Zimmer, was the daughter of a city councilman in Kassel, which is a uh, town in Germany. Um, And they settled in the bustling town of Hanau. My German is not great, so apologies in advance for mispronunciations. But the place that they moved was enjoying a period of peace and prosperity, which for the 1700s was pretty hard to come by. So good times when they got together. They had a big house and a happy family, despite the fact that out of the nine kids they had in their first 12 years of marriage, only six survived. But I think that counts as a happy, healthy family for back then. Nine? Good Lord, sir. But only six made it to the stage where you have to actually feed them and take care of them for extended periods of time. So the first two were Jacob Ludwig Grimm, born January 4th, 1785, and Wilhelm Karl Grimm, February 24th, 1786. And these are the brothers Grimm. The other Grimm children are kind of like not very important. Uh, But but there were three more brothers, and finally the youngest was a sister. Right. Right. Got to have one girl out of nine. <laughs> so, well, we don't know the, the genders of the three that did not make it to oh, okay. early childhood. <laughs> but yeah, one one lone girl in the family of six. Um, by 1791, the family had moved to Steinau, which was near Castle. Um, and that's because Philip, the dad, had gotten a job as a district magistrate, which I think is like a judge or something. That's what magistrate sounds like to me. Yeah. Um, they got a spacious house and servants, which is a sign that you're doing well career-wise. 
Uh, and the kids went to a local school and got religious training in the Reformed Calvinist Church. Do you think which it's I know more, nothing about? Do you think it's more impressive to have servants nowadays or back then? I feel like now. Like because you, it seems like a lot of the people we talk about at some point had servants. So, like, this was a thing that you could afford if you were, like, middle class or, like, upper middle class. But I don't know anyone who has more than, like, you know, a cleaning lady that comes in once a month or something. Like, that's right. the closest to servants. Is it almost is it almost, like, douchey to be like, oh, yes, yeah, my servant. Like, yeah. Well, nowadays, almost yeah. Downplay it. Like, yeah, I have a cleaning lady and I have, I have a guy that comes in. Every once in a while, makes food for me. Um, and then, you know, sometimes every single morning I have a guy that he comes in and dresses me. And it's not a big <laughs> deal or anything. It's just, you know, like, it's just like a, it's like a tailor, basically. Bro, I mean, yeah, a, the prospect bro, of having a, servant. a, the prospect of having a chef is like unthinkable to me. And that seemed pretty normal if you were yeah. upper class back then. But They're like, living- I don't know. Anyone who has a personal chef. They're living some hardcore Downton Abbey lifestyle here. Yeah. Yeah. In Germany. <laughs> Which, so I don't by know the way, what the German just, version of that would be. Just a quick shout out to all of Germany. Hello. 1% <laughs> of our listenership is from Germany, BT dubs. Oh, well, yeah, we have, I really hope they're not offended by all my German <laughs> mispronunciations. <laughs> we, we uh, over the last few months, we've had 10 downloads from Germany. So if wow. you're a German listener, say hello to us. Email us at lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and your experience with the Brothers Grimm. <laughs> I just wanted to make, make sure you knew. Also Denmark as, a, as another 1%. I know they're different. I didn't want to like make you guys think I'm lumping Denmark and Germany. I'm, just, I'm pointing out that those two are both 1%. Also Austria. <laughs> <laughs> Austria and Germany are basically the same thing, though. So. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you're Austria. from either of those countries, let us know how mad you are at Hannah now. <laughs> <laughs> just being the typical arrogant American, it's fine. <laughs> Nothing to see here. <laughs> okay, back to the two Germans that we actually know about. Here we go. Yep. So both brothers were very smart and worked hard. Um, They enjoyed growing up in the country and their familiarity with farming, nature, and peasant customs would come in very handy later. Um, Both seem destined, though, to follow in their father's footsteps and become successful lawyers, because I guess that's what you did back in the day. Sure. And nowadays, if you want to make money. Yeah. Uh, Otherwise, you can just become a reporter and a podcast host. Um, Yeah, and and make no money. And make no money. (laughs) So historical context, as much as I can give, not being a historian. um, But at the time that the Grimm brothers were growing up, Germany was a very fragmented country. So it wasn't like Germany the way we think of it now. There were about 200 individual provinces at the time. Mm. And each basically had like their own prince and and government. So um, also around this time, the French Revolution was starting uh, in 1792, so not long after the Brothers Grimm's, uh were born, the French began encroaching into Germany, and by 1793, they occupied pretty much all of it um, to the west of the Rhine River, um, and that would basically continue for the next two decades. So mm. there's a lot of political turmoil and war going on. Two decades or two centuries? On. Two decades. Oh, okay. 
until the French kind of skedaddled. Gotcha. I just wanted to make yeah. sure because I, I didn't know. I wasn't actually trying to correct you. I just wanted to know. No, the French did not occupy Germany until 1992. Oh, okay. <laughs> Only to like the early 1800s. Um, their dad, Philip, got pneumonia and died suddenly in 1796 at age 44. Oh, and within shit. weeks of his funeral, the whole family had to move out of their big house, get rid of all their servants, and Dorothy was on her own with six kids and no money. Um, so yeah, a bit of a, bit of a adversity to overcome. They became largely dependent on Dorothy's father and her sister, who apparently was like the cool rich aunt. Um, nice. Jacob and Wilhelm, as the oldest sons, had to take on extra responsibility, caring for their siblings, and effectively lost their childhood. Um, In 1798, their aunt arranged for them to go to a prestigious high school, and uh, she helped move the family to Castle, away from the serene countryside uh, that they so loved, and into a pretty snobby town where, even though their father had been a lawyer, the other students and even some teachers treated them as socially inferior to the highborn students. Oh, so even Lord. their teachers were dicks to them. This is some straight up Harry Potter shit. Right? <laughs> oh, you're but, a mudblood. <laughs> right? No, it gets crazier when they try to go to college. So hold oh, really? that thought. Um, all of this like snobbery basically tr- uh, inspired them to work even harder and make good grades and all of that jazz. Um, But also around the time of their move, their beloved grandfather died too, which was very sad for them. Um, What was their grandpa's name? I have no idea what their grandpa's name was. He was the one who was a city councilman at some point. It wasn't Whipple, was it? But still... It wasn't Grandpa Whipple? (laughs) Grandpa Whipple? Grandpa Whipple? Yes, and then they spent their evenings running around graveyards and castle, crying out for their Grandpa Whipple. I mean, the end. They're not far from uh, from Lovecraft in some ways. Pretty grim. Oh, pretty grim. Um, so each brother graduated high school at the head of their class, Jacob in 1802 and Wilhelm the next year, but they both had to get special permission to study law at university because their social standing was not high enough. What the fuck? (laughs) It's like, we don't care how smart you are. Your dad was just a lowly district magistrate. We don't care about our lawyers being smart. We want to know they come from good stock, like cattle. (laughs) And pigs. Yes. Now I'm going to think of lawyers like cattle. So sorry to all of our lawyers listening our, out there. Sorry to all of our German lawyers this episode. <laughs> when we insult people, we like to get very specific. Very specific. If you're a German lawyer who listens to our show, what are you doing with your life, man? <laughs> but these German wannabe lawyers finally got into college. Uh, and Jacob met Professor Friedrich Karl von Savigny of the Historical Froedrich. School of Law. It's, it's Froedrich. Froedrich? Really? <laughs> like Frodo? <laughs> no, like... Uh, never mind, it's from Young Frankenstein. Oh, okay. Come on. And it's... Uh, we're recording this on Mary Shelley's birthday, so... Happy Are birthday, we? Mary Shelley. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Yep. The best thing to happen uh, to Mary Shelley's work was um, Van... Van Wilder. Oh, now I'm gonna sound like a. Is jerk. that who directed it or something? No, it was I Mel. <laughs> My gosh, all I want to say is Mel Gibson. It's <laughs> holy shit, Jesus. <laughs> Young Frankenstein. I, I need to just type it in because now my brain is 
dead and I'm losing my <laughs> mind. And I know there's people out there that are like screaming at me, especially the German uh, Mel Brooks. The German lawyers are super pissed off at me right now. <laughs> Mel Gibson. Mel, Mel Brooks. Brooks directed this in 1974 and it's not and it's and it's gene wilder yeah i was right for some reason i didn't i didn't i was really concerned i was getting that wrong um it's one of the greatest movies of all time you've seen it right i feel like i my dad was watching it once and i was not paying attention so i'm uncultured hannah i'm not of good stock What are you, a grim brother? <laughs> I basically <laughs> do yourself a favor this Halloween, this this spooky season, and watch Young Frankenstein. It's legitimately one of the greatest movies ever made. I will I will watch it as soon as October starts. That's watch when I it start on October first. Yeah, we need. Season. You know what we need to do? We need to put together like a list of movies that that all of our listeners need to watch, like. Each night of Halloween of Halloween season. Oh. And it's like, you don't have to watch all of them if you don't want to, but like this Pick night of the movies. <laughs> yeah, like this night, it's it's this night's this movie, right? And so like if you join in, then then you and whatever listeners who are also joining in can can watch know that you're all watching that one together. I feel like I think need, that's a great idea. We need to put that list together this month and put it out. And the last one, the last one will be the flash fiction episode. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I like that. Just have that on in the background as you're like preparing bowls of candy and like razor blades to hand out to children. Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Someone needs to make like a razor blade candy. That would be hilarious. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, like candy that looks like little... <laughs> I think that's your first million dollar idea, but I think it'll get banned after the first year. If if we have any candy maker listeners, please (laughs) send me razor blade candies. I want it so bad. Send us free samples. I will hand them out. (laughs) Okay, well that took a a large detour, but (laughs) steering us back to the Grimm Brothers college. in college. So, Jacob meets Professor Friedrich Carl von Savigny of the Historical School of Law, and this guy's going to end up being a huge personal and professional influence on both of them throughout their lives. Mm. Um, Savigny believed the spirit of a law could only be understood by tracing its origins to the customs and language of the people. So this is what got the Brothers Grimm interested in the study of ancient German literature and folklore, because they were trying to use that to beef up their understanding of law. Um, but as we know from hindsight, that's going to turn out to be their predominant focus throughout their careers. Yeah. Plus so this, it, is, this is the beginning of philology, right? Like this is yeah, the beginning and, of it. Yeah. And philology is something that um, Tolkien was super that was interested his, in. That was his, study. that was his thing. Yeah. So, if, so if, yeah, you're, this, if we're saying philology and you're like, I kind of have heard of that. That's what that's what Tolkien was really all about. And it was his ability to like master the understanding of where languages come from and how they're being used. And it's very much founded in the German Germanic language and how it separated out and became all these different languages. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're at the forefront of that for sure. 
1805, Savigny invited Jacob to go with him to Paris as his assistant on a Roman law history project, which brings up some major Devil Wears Prada stuff for me. It's uh, Have you seen Devil Wears Prada? <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I, Becca, as Becca soon as I read me. that, I was like... <gasps> You're not going to Paris. <laughs> Savigny was much nicer than Miranda, so he actually took Jacob to Paris with him. Um, and on that trip, it highlighted how extremely close the brothers were. At first, I thought weirdly, but I guess, um, you know, relatives and friends were a lot better at expressing their feelings back then. Because soon after Jacob left, Wilhelm wrote him a letter that said in part, quote, I don't know anything to tell you about the first days except to say that I was very sad and am still now melancholy and want to cry when I think that you have gone. When you left, I thought my heart would tear in two. Good Lord. Yes. Get a hobby. Write a book, I mean, bro. <laughs> I love and miss my sister, but I've never sent her. The- she would straight up mock me if i said if you wrote that yeah that. hell yeah could you imagine if i wrote that to cameron like he's a nice bro i guess but i would never say that my heart broke <laughs> so yeah the author oh and i totally forgot to say at the top of the show but the biography that i read was the brothers Grimm by jack zipes so uh and he notes in this section of the the biography that you know this wasn't too strange because people wrote a lot of letters and were much more like forthcoming and open about their emotions back then. So a mm. uh, little weird, but I guess not super weird. Yeah. I don't um, know. It's, it's kind of weird. I feel like it's kind of, it's going to get weirder, but in like, the fall of 18, 18- oh, wait, hold on. Like how weird? Not that weird. Tyler, okay. you nasty. <laughs> I'm just looking for it. I mean, come on. Come on. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you can speculate wildly when we reach that section, but Whatever. Here we go. In the fall of 1805, uh, the poets Akim von Arnim and Clemens Brentano, who were friends of the Grimm's, published a collection of old German folk songs. Brentano wanted to continue this, like, line of work, so the next year he asked the Grimm's to help him collect folk tales. And even though they were still pretty young, they were beginning to be well-known for having a vast collection of German literature and folklore from their legal studies, basically. Um, So this is the beginning of what we know now as the Grimm's fairy tales. The brothers started collecting tales to send Brentano in 1807. So just like a date check, that's when Jacob would have been 22 years Mm -hmm. old. So no big deal. He's not doing anything important in his early 20s. No, he's just trying to become Uh, a a lawyer despite him being a half-blood. (laughs) um so for these tales that they were collecting they wanted like a very vast um like vast collection of literature it wasn't just like they want fairy tales they wanted folk songs and rhymes like those um which would be performed at celebrations on dance floors and at work in the fields songs with quote epic contents jacob wrote when he Mm. was like laying out what they wanted They also wanted nursery and children's fairy tales about giants, dwarfs, enchanted and rescued royal children, and magic instruments. They wanted local legends that helped explain certain places, so like how mountains and rivers and lakes got their names or were formed. (laughs) Real real quick. (laughs) 
was that so common that it had its own like genre magical instruments? I like, guess so. Like, oh, like, you play this flute and you're story? bewitched. <laughs> what's your favorite kind of story? Oh, I like horror. Oh, yeah. I like sci fi. Yeah. I'm super into <laughs> magical instruments. <laughs> hey, write a fairy tale about the magic electric guitar, Tyler. Is that maybe that's what my uh, my Halloween story will be is a mat is a magical instrument horror i mean it works you play There's... it and you die oh i'm gonna work on it now <laughs> they also wanted stories featuring animals specifically fox wolf dog cat chicken frog mouse crow sparrow etc uh, which i'm guessing is just like because those are common german animals um so they would show up a lot in the stories i, uh, I feel like this is like <laughs> they post this poster or something somewhere and it's like do you have stories about your animals crows foxes dogs cats we don't care we want all your stories <laughs> yes i i if they made flyers like it would have just been a block of text because they had so many requests yeah they also wanted superstitions so right uh, about like ghosts, witches, bad and good omens, um, and then also like anything pertaining to folk festivals, uh, customs, uh, celebrations, like you'd have at births, weddings, funerals, legal stuff, which was really interesting to me. But I guess they're lawyers, so sure. uh, that's helpful. And then finally, they wanted proverbs. So I feel like I feel if, like five five. I totally understand the that fifth like group of things that they wanted makes sense because they were basically putting together a history book and this was like kind of a time stamp of like this is what the people of of germany in 1805 are like this is what they believe in this is what they think this is how they feel and all of those things really time stamp it it's the others that are kind of weird that are like yeah we like to get a timestamp, but also we want to hear some chicken stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like, you know, the timestamp details help contextualize the other stories. So, like, if you know what customs or, like, legal rules they had at the time, like, you can infuse that into the fairy tales or, like, make sure that they make sense for the time that they're set in or something like that. Sure, sure. So, it's, uh, like, yeah. the background information for your weird story about a witch okay i know the chicken story is weird but let me explain <laughs> to you how a chicken actually won a lawsuit against someone in the proceedings here's here's the court <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is what happens when you let lawyers collect fairy tales tyler <laughs> so they they had like very specific goals when they were setting out on this project. They they wanted to collect stories from the mouths of the tellers because of course like back then telling stories out loud was kind of the thing to do. And yeah. they wanted to record them word for wor word as it was possible. So, it was truly an effort focused on average people. Their preference was to get stories from rural areas and lower class people like fishermen, shepherds, and miners, as well as, and they actually wrote, like, old people, women, and children who keep the tales fresh in their memories. So, yeah. they they didn't want, like, the snobby uh, royal families telling them the tales. They wanted the average Joe. Yeah. Um, the man on the town. 
Right. And the author of the biography that I read, Jack Sipes, he noted that um, the brothers were driven by a sort of imaginative nation building. So this is why it's kind of important to understand the historical context in Germany being like so fractured and at war at the time. Um, The Brothers Grimm really wanted to breathe life back into shared traditions and unite friends and family across the fatherland with like these stories that you know, might have been a little bit different in all of the provinces, but still had the same roots. I think that's that's really awesome. I, I genuinely do. Like, <clears throat> like y- you and I do our flash fiction stuff, and I've been working on an, an anthology for a bit now, and, and I'm a part of a couple of different writers groups. And w- one of the best things that I've experienced is bringing people together to tell stories. And so for them to do that and actively be like going across the country and talking to people, it seems like such a cool thing. Like, I, I don't know. It, it, and in a time where like our country is super divided, it, it, it seems like it would be it. I can see how healing that could be to share the, mm-hmm. the similarities rather than the differences. Yeah, I think it was definitely a noble goal. And one note um, that actually was a surprise to me, they didn't actually go out and go to the places where they were getting the stories. They had people come to them because they were like homebodies. They hated leaving to go anywhere. (laughs) So they would have people like show up at their house or whatever and tell them the stories. Sometimes like usually at least twice, sometimes three or four times because like the first time they would just listen and then after that they would try to like write it down word for word. So... That was kind of like an interesting method of collecting stories as well. Um, And that meant that like sometimes they weren't getting like the people that they claimed they wanted. Like the old people were not traveling a hundred miles or more to come tell them stories. It was sometimes like people who were also interested in literature came from those areas or something and relayed the stories. Um, But yeah, so... More historical context in 1807, around the time they're setting out on this, uh, the Napoleonic Wars are going on, which were a series of conflicts led by Napoleon I in an attempt to tie up loose ends from the French Revolution and keep their enemies, which were basically like different European countries forming allyships, at bay. Uh, the Grimm brothers' youngest or younger brothers fought for Germany in these wars, so it was a bit of a stressful time for them. Sure. Also in 1808, their mom died, uh, and Wilhelm's Willem's uh, health began deteriorating really rapidly. Uh, The symptoms that they described, he had shortness of breath that made climbing even a few steps a huge task. He had constant chest pain and exhaustion. And he's like in his 20s. So that's not a good sign. Um, Jacob, though, got a job as the French King Jerome's private a librarian in Castle, um, and that income enabled Wilhelm to travel to another city for asthma and heart disease treatment. So oh, again, good. they were separated. Yeah, but uh, I mean, exactly what you just said, though. Like the asthma thing. Like you're describing that that stuff, and I'm like, oh, I know how that feels. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess yeah. Before they had inhalers. Uh, yeah, there's days makes where it I've, a little bit more I've difficult. Up, I've gotten up and I've walked to the bathroom to go to the bathroom and I'm like, shit, I have to choose between breathing and going to the bathroom right now because it's so bad. That sounds awful. I don't yeah. want to know what choice was made in the end. I mean, hopefully I breathing, but <laughs> I hold my breath hard. 
No, it's not that bad. I mean, it's bad. It's it's not comfortable, and it's it is like it can be life threatening if it gets hoarse. But like, yeah, inhalers are the only reason why I'm alive, for sure. <laughs> and I'm not sure when that was invented, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't in the early 1800s. Yeah, probably like the 1200s, 12, 12 or 1300s. I think medieval. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> the knights just pause for a second and yeah. pull out their inhaler. Ching, ching, hold, hold on. on, guys. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to hold it. Okay, let's go this. Ching. Clang, clang, clang. Those sound effects are top notch. I'm practicing for the Halloween episode. <laughs> I'm doing all the sound effects. <laughs> so uh asthma and heart disease aside 1809 through 1813 were relatively stable years for the Grimm family wilhelm was feeling better uh and he and jacob started publishing the results of their research on german literature uh in 1810 they sent 49 stories to brentano but he never did anything with them and it turns out he actually like left them at a monastery in alsace and the handwritten manuscripts weren't discovered until 1920 what the fuck so, this asshole had them do all this work and then he just like forgets it somewhere. That's such a dick move. That's so like, what'd you do with them? Um, so here's the thing about that is I have them. Definitely. I still have them. Um, somewhere. <laughs> yeah. We got to like dig more into his backstory sometime. Cause I just want to know how incompetent he was. He seems pretty terrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I don't know if it's like, obviously, since it was so long ago, there's not a play by play record of their lives. So I'm not sure if him like losing the stories had anything to do with this. But the brothers eventually reached an agreement with uh, Brentano that they could publish the tales they had been collecting for him on their own. Yeah. Um, so the first volume of <clears throat> Children's and Household Tales, as it was called, appeared in 1812. Um, despite the name, it was not intended for children, because uh, anyone who's read any Grimm's fairy tales knows they're pretty gory uh, and inappropriate, um, <laughs> but that's just what it was called. They also hadn't expected their grand quest to dig up the poetry of the German people to get so, well, grand, um, so they realized that this was going to be a much larger project, uh, and gradually they started making a name for themselves among philologists across Europe. Yeah, philologist. Philology. <clears throat> so, uh, in 1813, Napoleon fell from power and the French withdrew from Castle to the brothers' relief. Uh, the next year, Jacob was appointed a member of the Hessian Peace Delegation and served as a diplomat in Paris and Vienna. Because one of the other things that both uh, brothers did a lot of was, like, write political thoughts. Like, they were pretty outspoken about things that were going on in Germany. Mm. Um and Jacob used his time traveling, not his time traveling, but his <laughs> time his spent time tra traveling <laughs> to gather books and documents for his and Wilhelm's work on ancient German literature and customs. So he took full advantage of this trip that he took since they didn't travel that much. Uh, and while Jacob was gone, Wilhelm got a job as a secretary to the Royal Librarian Castle and con concentrated on the second volume of the Children's and Household Tales. When the Treaty of Vienna was signed with the French, Jacob, um, he came back home, and they kind of resumed their work. It seems it seems like Jacob is the one that's doing everything. And Jacob, like, like, yeah, he's definitely more prominent, and he does everything first, even though he, he's just a year older than Wilhelm, but, right. like, yeah. 
and he maybe, gets all the cool jobs first and maybe it's Wilhelm just being, you know, sickly and, and shit, but <clears throat> it definitely seems like Jacob is leading this pair through the through the thick of it when trying to get everything I don't know, maybe maybe that changes as they move into more doing their own book publishing, but as far as like getting into the world and, and being a part of it, Jacob seems more active. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. Um Later on, Wilhelm does, like, take up most of the work on the Grimm's fairy tales. But, I mean, prior to that, like, it's always Jacob doing everything first. It it honestly reminds me... It reminds me of uh, Frankie and I. Frankie, my business partner, and I. Because Frankie goes out and he does shit all day, every day. Dude's insane. <laughs> he talks to people. No, thank you. He goes to business meetings. Blah. He's, he joined the rot- Rotary Club. I don't even know what that oh is. Oh, my God. Is he 80? Yeah. He goes and plays golf with people now. I don't know if he actually does, but he goes to a oh country my God, club. Oh, I got really scared. <clears throat> yeah. He, he like, act, he's super active. He meets people and we'll be like, gosh dang it. <clears throat> Sorry, I've been talking a lot, so my throat is very messed up. Um, he Like, Frankie goes out and, like, or like we'll go out together. We'll get, we'll go get a drink or something, and people just come up and start talking to him. And they're like, "Hey, Frankie, how's it going?" And I'm like, "Who the fuck was that guy?" And he's like, "Oh, that's the mayor." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> you know, at first I was gonna try to argue with you, but yeah, you've made this point. He is the Jacob of the Tyler brothers. Yeah, <laughs> brothers Tyler. Brothers <laughs> Tyler. <laughs> Uh, for our listeners who don't understand, his real name is Tyler. Uh, his last name is Frankie. I call him Frankie, and other people do too, so that they don't confuse us to avoid confusion. Yeah, yes. so it's, it's but funny. they are Tyler and Tyler. It is very funny. The the brothers Tyler. <laughs> New shirts for sure. <laughs> I don't know how he feel about me using him <laughs> on our show. Um. So over the next thirteen years, basically, the Grimm's and enjoyed another period of relative calm and prosperity in their personal and professional lives. Um, their work as librarians left lots of time for research and publication, which is very important to them. They finished a second volume of German legends. Jacob wrote a volume of German grammar and one of ancient German law by himself. Good Lord. Uh, and Wilhelm translated Irish elf tales to German and wrote the German heroic legend. So they were both like churning out these very serious books. Yeah. Um, Again, though, Jacob's kind of winning. <laughs> I know. German law. He wrote. German grammar. <clears throat> German grammar and ancient German law by himself. And then Wilhelm's like, well, I, uh, I'm translating I some a stuff. Book, so, you know. <laughs> and to add insult to injury for Wilhelm, I guess, uh, Children's and Household Tales had not been an overwhelming success even after they published the second edition in 1819. So within the first two volumes, there were 156 individual tales. Oh, wow. So these are really big books. Um, their growing reputation was more due to their philological studies than their folk and fairy tale collections. Yeah. For example, Jacob's book on grammar got them a ton of attention from scholars. Uh, they were given honorary degrees. They were made members of academic societies and even offered professorships at universities. Uh, they rejected the jobs, though, because they wanted to keep working together and out of the public eye. They're like total homebodies. Yeah. Uh, and they thought lecturing to students would distract them from their research. So like 
very focused guys. Um, their domestic life they're was definitely, changing, though. They're definitely not uh, Isaac Asimov, that's for sure. No, definitely not. Like the opposite of Isaac Asimov. So on the domestic front, um, Charlotte, their younger sister, married a man and moved out of the house in 1822. Huh. In 1825, Wilhelm got married to Dorchen Wild, which is the coolest name I've heard in a while. Dorchen Wild. In. <laughs> <laughs> and they had known uh, Dorchen for more than 20 years. Apparently, she was, like, a very close friend. Um, and she had actually been part of a group of storytellers who provided them with numerous tales for their collection. Um, now it was her job to look after the brothers' domestic affairs. Both brothers, because Jacob remained a bachelor for his entire life and seldom left the house. Which is, like, just exactly what you want in a brother-in-law. Wait, hold on. But... Okay, I'm giving shit to Wilhelm this whole time for being, like, <laughs> this whatever guy, but he's the one that gets married? Like, he's... Yeah. Wilhelm fucks. <laughs> he was focused on getting laid while That's Jacob was, was writing German grammar books. Yeah, Jacob's writing books like crazy, and he's all, like, you know, into it, but Wilhelm's over there like, yeah, 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 sure, ancient, uh, ancient German grammar, what the fuck ever, hey... Uh, what's Dorchen. up, Dorchen? <laughs> Miss Wild, gonna live up to your name tonight, girl? Oh. <laughs> I mean, well, who's really the winner then, Jacob or Wilhelm? At, at this point, they're tied. They're tied for coolest. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So they are living, uh, you know, two brothers and a wife together. Um, uh, okay, no, and- that's getting weird. I know. Uh, Dorchen, I mean, she knew what she was getting into because she'd known them for so long, probably. So she knew, like, you marry one grim brother, the other's going to stick around awkwardly for the rest of your life. Um, and the brothers kept a rigid research and writing schedule at home. They liked the house quiet so they could focus, uh, which was probably difficult because Wilhelm ended up having three children with Dorchen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but he was just yeah, as much... Be- it's not going to be quiet when they're making those children. You know what I'm saying, Jacob? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Jacob must have had some, like, really good soundproof headphones. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so Wilhelm was just as much married to his work um, as he was to his actual wife. And the brothers remained inseparable. So In- I don't think Dorchen was the winner. Insane. Insane. <laughs> um, we're getting toward the later years. There was a, a shakeup in their lives in 1829 when the first librarian of the Royal Library died. Jacob expected to get promoted to the position, but he didn't have the right connections or politics, and the guy in charge of promotions denied both his in- and Wilhelm's requests. There was also some drama there, apparently, uh, mm. because the guy like in charge of the promotions had openly lived with his mistress at one point, and no. the brothers Grimm sided with his wife publicly, <gasps> so he had a grudge against them. Yeah. Gasp. How um, dare him. I know. They were so offended that they resigned from their jobs and moved to the University of Göttingen a year later. uh, Jacob taught old German literature and was head librarian, and Wilhelm became a librarian and five years later a professor, too. And he Uh, taught sex ed. Well, he had three kids, so I don't know if he was so good at it. He had only three kids. Do you remember who they came from? 
Their parents had nine friggin' nine. children. Nine. He knew how to pull out, okay? He knew what yeah. birth control was. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> um, both brothers established themselves as thought-provoking teachers and advanced the field of German literature, but it did take time for them to adapt to the new environment and demands on their time. They had wanted to spend the rest of their lives in Castle, devoted to research, um, but despite the drain on their time, they continued writing. Jacob completed a third volume of German grammar because he's a huge nerd and a major <laughs> study called German mythology in 1831 and 1835, respectively. And Wilhelm prepared the third edition of children's and household tales. Um, there was a lot more political unrest in the uh, backdrop. And eventually this would um, kind of like eliminate their teaching careers. Um, so the short of it is that like, a group of intellectuals known as Young Germany pushed for democratic reform, uh, but many of their members were persecuted and silenced. Some influential writers like um, Ludwig Born uh, took refuge in exile. And while the Grimms weren't staunch supporters of the Young Germany movement, they had always supported the liberal cause and were active in local and national politics. Uh, in 1837, King Ernst August II took the throne, dissolved Parliament, and declared all civil servants must pledge an oath to him. Oh, wow. The Grimms were included in that, since apparently the king was also in charge of the universities. Um, mm. But they and five other renowned professors protested and were fired. They were called the Gottingen Seven, so they even had a cool little name. Yeah. Uh, and they were strongly supported by the student body. But because he was at great risk of being imprisoned or even executed, Jacob quickly returned to Castle and Wilhelm and his family joined him a few months later. Wow. So, yeah, this um, put them in dire financial circumstances again because the ruling monarchs of the various principalities prevented them from teaching at other universities. So they basically just embarked on writing the German Dictionary, a little project like that, uh, yes. one of the largest undertakings of its kind in the century. <clears throat> so, yeah, they were, they were well-versed in living on a meager income, so they were mostly happy to continue living there and resume their research uh, and immense written correspondence with other scholars. Correspondence. <laughs> it's, it's like we have something named after that. I don't know. It's like we know what we're doing or something. Yeah. I like how um, you said all that and all I replied with is correspondence. Correspondence, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot. Like, that's a lot, though. That's a lot of life. That's a lot of life. Um, And, I mean, while they were kind of just chilling in Castle, some of their influential friends, like Bettina von Arnim, uh, a close friend, and she was the wife of Akim von Arnim and the sister of Clemens Brentano, that asshole <gasps> who lost their manuscripts. Son of a bitch. Um, she and Savigny, the professor, um, as well as other influential friends, were trying to convince the new king of Prussia to bring the brothers to Berlin. Uh, that eventually happened in 1841. They started working at the University of Berlin as professors. Um, and the Prussian king also expected them to deliver lectures and teach seminars. So they ended up playing an even more active role in the um, like propagation of German literature as a field of study. <clears throat> they also kept up a political presence while they were there. Um, but the years in Berlin were far more active than either brother wanted. They disliked the numerous social distractions and public appearances yeah. uh, and academy meetings and committees. Look, they look, found them boring. Jacob has books to write and Wilhelm has a wife. Dorchen. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to get wild, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Whoa. That was very good. 
Um, after the revolutions of 1848 in Germany, the brothers were elected to the civil parliament and Jacob became a prominent member of the National Assembly. Their political careers were short-lived, though. They soon became disenchanted, and their hope dwindled for a unified Germany, which is very sad, because that's what they like wanted to that's see their entire lives. That's what they worked the entire time. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, yeah. That is sad, actually. Uh, Jacob retired from teaching in the late 40s, and Wilhelm followed in 1852. They devoted the rest of their lives to working on the German dictionary uh, before Wilhelm died of an infection in 1859, and Jacob died about four years later on September 20th, 1863, from natural causes. The last word he'd gotten to in the dictionary was fruit. Oh, damn. That's so it? they hadn't made it too far. Yeah, FR? Good lord, sir. <laughs> <clears throat> Wait, well, that's the English version of fruit. No, uh, the German word also starts with FR. It's like fruit or something. It's oh, very okay. similar sounding to I was going to say, if it starts with like W, like Worcestershire, then. No, like... it started with F. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, that's. No, that's. But defi- that's still it's a sad shit in American of... and German. <laughs> that's a lot of words, though. Like trying to write the dictionary would be insane for two people. Yeah. Could you imagine you spend a whole day working on just writing words that are describing other words and then you pick it up and go hey bro check out this word i just described and he goes "Ooh, (laughs) i feel like you could describe that word differently maybe do a better job and you're like well i just spent all day on this word and he's like "Mm, try again and then you're, and yeah, then, who edits this? <laughs> well, they do, obviously. They they edit. They're their other. own editors. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then, <laughs> and then, and then your wife comes in. You're like, "Hey, babe, what have you been working on all day?" And you're like, "The word ass." <laughs> well, <clears throat> I guess yeah. Here's here's like here's that. how I describe the word as a person who makes me re-edit this word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like reading the early drafts of the dictionary, yeah. and it starts getting like really petty partway through. Yeah, you just start to. There's like very once every few hundred words. There's just like a really petty statement in there. You can see this whole argument between them through the words. Be great. <laughs> So, yeah, so, I mean, that's the end of their lives. Um, I did want to leave a little bit of time for, like, talking about the stories themselves, because you listened to quite a few of the fairy tales, right? Yeah, I got as far as I could in the stories, um, just because, you know, you you, you grow up watching Disney, um, and you see, like, other versions of them. Snow White's been done, like, a thousand times in the last ten years. Um, And so, I wanted to actually hear what they what they were and i really liked listening to them because like you had touched on earlier the the whole process of telling stories was an oral thing it wasn't like a literary thing and even when they were trying to like start this they weren't trying to start a literary thing as much as they wanted to just capture that the essence of the oral storytelling process and and that's why they tried to capture every single word exactly, you know, because they wanted it to feel like you're reading 
a transcript of, of what somebody was was saying when they were telling the story. Um, that being said, I hate them. I hate these stories <laughs> so fucking much. <laughs> Do you want to elaborate on that? Um, maybe it's I don't know. Maybe it's just the 2021 hindsight, and I I have an idea of how stories should be nowadays. Yeah, it's the same thing that happened with Sherlock Holmes. I love Sherlock Holmes. I do. Um, but it's not hard to figure out what the twist is, like who who done it. Mm. Um, because because we've had Sherlock Holmes around for a hundred plus years. Um, there's been a lot of different mysteries that are better than Sherlock Holmes. It's just, that's just how it is. Like people have been able to refine those stories and do a better job of telling mysteries and have bigger twists. So when you read Sherlock Holmes and you're like, Oh, I feel like it's this guy, but <laughs> that'd be too easy. And then at the end it's like, Oh no, it was that guy. It's like a Scooby-Doo <laughs> movie or, or cartoon where it's like, that's so obvious, but it was groundbreaking back then, right? Like it was this huge ordeal. It was it was the beginning of of a change. <clears throat> the the grim fairy tales were huge in that they were capturing the like I had talked about earlier a, a timestamp of that people the the German people at that time, and it was something that they were passing along to another generation. And, and I think that it is really good that they did that. And we do that nowadays. I just got done doing a documentary for, for now here, this with Frankie, Fra really it's Frankie's uh, project. I, I just helped him with it uh, for nine 11, where we were helping young people hear the stories of what it was like that day, you know, of nine 11 and how it impacted our culture. Um, and so I, I do think that it's really important, but fucking consistency, my guy, like fucking rules of telling a goddamn story is so, so important. So when you have a prince running off into the forest because, oh, my brother has gone missing in the woods, so I shall go after him and find him. And, and then you're walking and then all of a sudden you're walking and then it just says, and then the fox spoke to the prince and said, hey, prince follow me don't go the wayward way and go and join your brothers and parish and then he's like oh thank you fox for helping me and then he just carries on his way um let's stop and talk about the fact that you just talked to a goddamn fox but let's just focus on that fact for just one goddamn second do you talk to foxes or are all foxes sentient was this a god was this a demon was this an angel are you psychic are you a druid from the from the dungeons of dragons what is happening i don't understand why the fox can talk to you and then you're walking through the woods and guess what a tree just reaches out and grabs you why does the tree grab you why is the tree angry at you what did you do against the trees and when did they decide that they can start doing these things how come the other trees didn't attack you why is this only one tree trying to attack you it doesn't make any sense it's just like you're making things up so that there can be a story it's not it's not like it actually helps the story it's just there because it has to be there the rapunzel story was pretty good though <laughs> Well, actually, Rapunzel was on my list to talk about. Um, because, okay, so first of all, let me ad address that. Uh, 
I feel like you're not really mad at the Brothers Grimm. You're mad at, like, whatever old lady first told that fairy tale, like, <laughs> in the early 1700s. Yeah. <laughs> because the bro- the Grimm brothers were, were editors. They weren't actually authors. They right, collected right. these stories and they, like, made them stylistically smoother. Yeah. Uh, they, like, put in a sequential structure and like the rule of three is something you see all over the place in their stories. Yeah. Um, so they basically just made the stories like better and make more sense, I guess, but you still have random shit like trees getting mad at people for no reason. Um, but yeah, so on the Rapunzel note, like this is something that happened throughout the editions. They did seven editions total. And by the, the seventh one, they had 211 stories. Um, and the stories changed over time. They did not stay the same in the seventh edition as they were in the first. Because, um, like, they would get... People would report, like, new stories, but, like, the same stories, if that makes sense. So they, they'd, like, get somebody telling them a different version of Snow White or whatever, and they would update it to yeah. include that. Yeah. Um, they also tried to make them, like, more palatable for like the middle class yeah uh which is something that i object to strongly but one example of that is in rapunzel so in the original version of rapunzel gothel realizes the prince has been visiting after rapunzel asks why none of her clothes fit anymore right because she's pregnant Preggers. do i have a little puzzle baby yeah, that gets changed in the later editions, and the secret is revealed when Rapunzel accidentally asks Gothel why she's so much harder to pull up than the prince. Right. Which is like, that feels like a lazy change to me. It's yeah. like, Rapunzel's just so stupid, she accidentally blurts out, hey, you're fatter than the prince. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. just make her be pregnant. That's funny. Yeah, um, but they didn't want to offend the middle class audiences. It, it it does suck. The censorship does suck uh, because it it goes against the whole point, right? Mm-hmm. Of like this, which is was supposed to tell to be, the truth. Yeah, this is supposed to be the story of the people, and now you're saying that the people their stories aren't good enough. Yeah, they were too crude, and that's something <clears throat> that I noticed in like a lot of the original. Because I think the version that I have is like the original stories. Um, but I think it's probably all 211 total because it's a super long book. Uh, but they're like very crude and obviously like gory too. So yeah, I was yeah. surprised by that as a kid reading them. I'm like, holy shit, this is like the original Snow White or this is the original. Um, this is, yeah, I think Snow White is the one where in the original they like make her dance in the iron slippers that have been like the, heated up in the fire. Yeah, the mom dies because they put on the slippers that, yeah. Yeah. I remember, because I I got this book, like, when I was very young, like, I think probably 10 or 11, and I was reading one of the books, and I have, I don't think this is one that Disney turned into anything, um, but, like, one of the methods of death was they put the evil stepmother or whatever in a barrel studded with nails and rolled her down a hill. Holy shit. I was like, as a kid reading that, I was so disturbed. (laughs) Sounds like, like something what from the like, hell, mom? It, for some reason, that reminds me of Sleepy Hollow with uh, Johnny Depp. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. That was so gross. Actually, I think my grandpa was the one who gave me uh, the Grimm's Fairy Tales collection, so I shouldn't blame my mom for letting me read that. <laughs> yeah, because your mom probably was just like, oh, they're the little kids' stories. They're the, fan- they're the fairy tales. <laughs> I think my mom knew better. <clears throat> that is something, too. Fairy tales, just, just the term fairy tales is really interesting to me because there's a lot of... A lot of the stories where it's just the, 
I know that I, I just got on to it about how like just a fox can talk to you and, and shit like that. Um, it still bothers me, but it is supposed to be like <clears throat> I was reading. I was reading something about why Tolkien and Lewis were able to do fantasy so well at, in their time period, and they they kind of tapped into this idea of fantasy from the fairy tale perspective. But not fairy tale like Grimm's fairy tale where it's all this, you know, weirdness. But, like, fairy is supposedly a a land, like a place of existence that that um, was all... It's almost like... It's almost like the unknown, right? It's like it, going down the road and you, you don't know exactly where you're going will just lead you to fairy, right? And so... Yeah. Um, it, I've read this before and it's always been really interesting to me as, as a writer and someone who wants to write fantasy, it's, we like these defined lines of like, this is Narnia and then this is the real world. You know, this is middle earth. This is the real world, that sort of thing, or space or, or wherever we're going. But the way that they look at this imaginary world where all these things can happen, it's very blurred with reality because there was so much up in the air as far as they didn't know a lot and, and, and they, they kept to themselves. They stayed close. They stayed on the road and, you know, you go to your, your same merchants and townsfolk and you farm and you do your, your trade and that's it. Like you, and, and if you travel, like that's, that's a big deal that you're a traveler, because traveling wasn't as easy as it is now, right? Like, like no. we travel, you and I can can visit each other in one day, and it would have taken a week, <laughs> genuinely a week, for us to get to each other if we if we really wanted to. Um, and we might have died along the way, yeah, or exactly. Something. And, and you don't know what could have happened, and and so this world, this realm of fairy, was a very real thing to them that blurred into reality. Um, and so I've been studying that a lot more and it's been influencing a lot of my writing, but you can see the good authors that do that. I mean, obviously the, the fairy tales that come from the Grimm brothers, um, that, that is the most classic sense of it. Um, you see that a lot in the book, um, um, Mr. Strange, uh, Mr. Norrell and, and Jonathan Strange, um, she plays with um, with that land of fairy a lot. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons has a sort of version of that called the Feywilds um, that that they play with a lot. And I just I genuinely like the idea of like it's blurrier. It's almost like the Miyazaki stuff. Like we've talked about mm -hmm. him before, where you know um, the Spirited Away. Like she just she just goes. She just goes through this this place and she ends up in this like spiritual fairy world um not because it's the defined lines but because it just kind of blends into reality um and so i i give shit to it and i throw a lot of shade to it because it's lazy writing to me but at the same time that's just kind of the world that they lived in so it's a really interesting way of looking at at things like yeah if you go down the road to that place you don't know there will be a fox that can talk to you and there's no explanation mm -hmm. for it. It's just, that's just how it is. Well, it's just like, I mean, the listener or the reader has to accept 
like suspend their disbelief or whatever the way you suspend your disbelief when you watch a miyazaki movie right you're like oh of course the cat's gonna start talking like that's yeah. totally normal yeah 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 um so yeah so it would that's that's my takeaway i i i'm not the biggest fan of it i'm more a fan of diving into that time period and that that mind of of looking at fairy tales rather than the fairy tales themselves i think that well okay oh, i i think like yeah you can not be a fan of like the individual stories or like the way they're told but it's like these have had such a huge impact on storytelling and movies and books now it's like there's so many things that even if like you don't think on the surface you're not like watching something and you're like oh yeah this is totally a retelling of some fairy tale but like if you really start to analyze some of the most popular films of our time and stuff it's like oh there's heavy fairy tale influences here and just the dynamics that they explored between families and like so many stepmother tropes that we still get yeah. today it's like yeah these are i mean we would not have so many of the stories that we have now if it weren't for this collection yeah for sure yeah no I, which I, is now uh oh sorry go ahead i was just gonna say I, I i totally get why other people like them i just it just bothers the shit out of me when it's just like oh go for a walk and and now this thing is happening because i need it to <laughs> Well, even though um, the children's and household tales were not like a smash hit during their lifetime, by the 1900s, they were second only to the Bible in German sales. Classic. So, in Germany, you like to read the Bible, and then you like Grimm's fairy tales. Yeah, and that's a big deal. You know, Martin Luther, he made the Bible, he, he brought the Bible back. It was it was kind of weird. And then he was all like, nah, bro, check it out. Check the Bible out for sure. And then Grim, and then the Grimm brothers are like, "Yeah, but also these stories, huh?" <laughs> uh, they they did make them more uh, Christian in later editions too. Of course they did. Everybody made yeah. everything more Christian. It's what and Christians now we're going do. the opposite way. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you got a nice fairy tale over there. We should uh, put some Christian themes in it. Yeah, I mean, even even people did that to Lovecraft. They're trying to they're they try to be all like. What? Yeah. Um who's the guy that owned um the Lovecraft estate after he took off or after <laughs> took off, after he died. He took off after yeah. he took off he, from this mortal he, realm. <laughs> yeah, he took off with Cthulhu, obviously. Um yeah, no, Lovecraft uh wrote all of his stories and then some dude was like editing them and publishing them and he had like made not changes to the original stories but like had started writing new stories as people did. And his were considered more canon because he had, like, known Lovecraft more. And in his stuff, he really, like, created, like, a hierarchy of the gods and then, like, tried to have more Christian themes run through the hierarchy of gods. Um, and, and a lot of people hate that, obviously. Most people who are Lovecraft fans are not christians <laughs> they're they are very much <laughs> yeah not. keep your christianity out of my lovecraft yeah well yeah unfortunately you have guys like me who just can't help but love lovecraft <laughs> and jesus at the same time <laughs> you are a walking uh what what's that called oh shoot. paradox a walking oxymoron paradox. An oxymoron. oh yeah that too <laughs> i'm not a moron um <laughs> i i did get into a, a conversation with someone once where I was explaining how I'm a Christian nihilist 
and <laughs> and they're like that can't happen and i'm like you'd be surprised <laughs> it's uh it's a pretty weird place to be but i exist i'm here and i'm gonna tell you all about it yeah just listen to my podcast you'll hear it it'll come out <laughs> Well, uh, I think that about wraps it up for us. Uh, we're kind of staying on the uh, the fairy tale trend uh, with our next episode because we're going to be going even farther back in history yeah. and talking about a guy named Aesop, who I'm surprised at how many people actually don't know Aesop by name because I feel like his fables are very well known. Usually after you like say one of them, like the scorpion on the toad or whatever, mm-hmm. then they're like, oh, I've heard that. I'll be honest, the only... The only reason why I know who Aesop Rock or Aesop is, is because of Aesop Rock. <laughs> because not not Aesop Rocky, but Aesop Rock, who is a rapper, uh, and he's probably probably my favorite hip hop artist. Yeah, he's Does he dope. have anything to do with Aesop's fables? Um, I don't know enough about Aesop yet to be able to say yes or no to that. So that I'll answer mm. that question on the episode. Oh, that's what we call a tease. <laughs> you know me. I love the tease. <laughs> so, Tyler, where can they uh, find us in between now and our next episode? There's so many places, and we've already talked about so much already, but but I got to officially talk about it. The, the, the Halloween episode is coming, and it's coming fast. All right? It's going gonna, it's gonna... <laughs> to... No, don't say whatever you're going to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The Halloween episode is coming up, and we want your short fiction, your flash fiction, scary, funny. Uh, Somebody asked, like, how horror it could be, and I said yes. So, you know, we don't really have any. Thanks for taking that. Well, you were losing your shit, so. It was so funny. I had at least three jokes lined up, and there was. I'm trying to keep this rated like PG 13. Okay. So, yeah. So, Tyler, where can they send 500 to 700 words of scary, spooky, silly Halloween fun? Yeah. Um, if you write a story, you can email us uh, at gmail. Uh, Lewis and Lovecraft. <laughs> gmail.com. I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Lewis and Lovecraft at gmail.com is where you can send stories to us. Uh, we just had someone send us a story, and they weren't sure if it was even Halloween worthy. We told them it, it really wasn't, but we want to read it on our show anyway. Um, so we're working with them to figure out a good time to do that. Whether it's going to be for our sci-fi, which it's very much more towards sci-fi, um, or just on one of our shows, because we want to start doing that as well. Send in your stories, we'll read them. But for Halloween stories, lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at Lewis and Lovecraft or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Lewis and Lovecraft. You can go to our website, lewisandlovecraft.com and uh, see a whole bunch of stuff there. Um, and, you know, send that to your friends if you want it. And as always, we want to give a shout out to Jake Basson for our awesome intro music. You can find him at soundcloud.com slash Jake Basson. And make sure you subscribe to our show so you can get all the cool stuff that we do. If you're on uh, Spotify or iTunes, you can 
subscribe to us there anywhere else that you're at uh subscribe if you're watching this on youtube you're a cool person thank you hello i'm glad you got to watch me eat a burrito today um make sure (laughs) (laughs) make sure you hit subscribe and like the like button and notifications i don't want to keep saying all those words they make me feel gross <laughs> um, and rate and review us on any platform that you can, uh, particularly Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Yeah. And Tyler. And what? Oh. Well, you were going to ask I was, me something. I was just going to say, what's the best way that they can support us if That's they like That's so crazy us? that you're asking me that because I was about to say the best way that you can help <gasps> us is to tell a friend. And there's so many things to tell friends right now. There's tell them about our show tell them about how great we are how hilarious i am how informative (laughs) hannah is and also about the halloween show and if you haven't listened to our halloween show go listen to the older ones because they're great and our sci-fi flash fiction that came out in may uh dope honestly to be completely honest way better than my halloween episodes no oh my gosh no the last halloween episode is hands down my favorite flash fiction special yeah We'll see. Um, so um, if you have writer friends um, and you want to try and encourage them to write, share our show with them so that they can they can hear this message and they can maybe be inspired to write a story of their own and send it in. Um, if you're a new, a new writer and you haven't done much and you want to get some exposure, please write into us. We are, uh, we are very friendly. Uh, we will give you critiques and try and help you in the best way we can. Um, we don't tear people apart. We are always encouraging, and you, we want to read your stories on our show, right, Hannah? Right. Yeah. So send them in soon. Because I'll be that encouraging when yeah. we read your stories. Send them in soon because Halloween is coming faster than Will. <laughs> no! Oh my God! Will Grimm. <laughs> Uh, I messed it up, but it's still funny. It's fucking hilarious. Will I'm grim. (laughs) (laughs) That's the end of our show, show, ghoul gang. Have a good week. And remember to stay spooky. Grimmy. Stay spooky.